is from John 6, sorry, verse 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray as we get into our text this morning. Our Father, we give you thanks. Uh, all the promises embedded in the, this, the hymn we just sang, uh, that you are the sure and steady anchor through all of life's storms, and we give you thanks for that. We pray that this word, which has power, would uh, embed itself in our hearts and our souls and our bones, that we would, uh, that the anchor would drive deeper into us. I pray for your help to communicate uh, your teaching this morning uh, through, through preaching, and we pray for the hearts of, of those here that, that they, your spirit would pierce them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, Holbrook Jackson was a, journal, a British journalist in the early 20th century. He wrote uh, a number of books. One of those books was a series of platitudes. And for Holbrook Jackson, he, he, he kind of represented your classic secular thought that was becoming in vogue at the, at the time. He, uh, the writings of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche was, was a, were a big influence upon him. Uh, so kind of a secular person, wanted to kind of discard religion, which for him meant Christianity. Let's get done with that. Let's move on to something new. And so in his platitudes, this is what he says. This is one of the platitudes. A man is a ship, his religion a harbor, Few men sail the high seas. Man is a ship, his religion a harbor, and few men sail the high seas. In other words, religion, Christianity, is a weakening force in our lives. It stifles us. It, 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 it stifles creativity. It stifles courage. Christianity is all about settling and to move away from Christianity is an adventure. It's about exploration. It's about sailing the high seas. Now, in 1911, that's when this was written, that was kind of, uh, that was kind of the thinking that was beginning to circulate in the academic world and among elites. And now I would say what Holbrook Jackson said over 100 years ago, it's kind of our default thinking when it comes to Christianity when it comes to religion, right? If you, religion locks us in and it puts us on the road to nowhere. We're just stuck in a harbor. It asks us to suppress our desires, to suppress our emotions, to, to suppress our sexuality and our freedom, right? Man is a ship, religion is a harbor that boxes us in, it keeps us locked in. Few people sail the high seas. Our text this morning is going to challenge Holbrook Jackson's little platitude on life. 
Uh, and the, the text actually unfolds pretty naturally. We're, we've got two points this morning. The first point is life without Jesus. And the second point is life with Jesus. So life without Jesus, and then we're going to consider what life is like with Jesus. So first, life without Jesus. Now, this, you have to go back quite a ways in your, in your memory. When Jared preached a few weeks ago, he, he looked at the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000. And that's, that's the story that immediately precedes our text this morning. Following the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus retreats to, pray, to pray. That's what Mark's Gospel tells us. He retreats to pray. And then it says about the disciples, verses 16 and 17, when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat. And they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, is where they're heading. And many of these disciples are fishermen. They're all, they're they're kind of in a sea, they're they're bounded by sea, whether to the east or to the west, these people. So they know what they're doing when they get, it's not like me getting in a sailboat, (laughs) trying to figure out how to, they know what they're doing. Like, this is familiar territory for them. And yet they find themselves without Jesus at sea. Look at verse 17, the second part of verse 17. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus is not with them. They are experiencing life without Jesus, okay? Now, John tells us it's dark. We could easily just sort of gloss over that if it were not for the fact that throughout John's gospel, he's been making an enormous deal of light and darkness, it's more than just it was nighttime. They're in the dark. The, the, the fact that it's dark is significant for John. This is what life without Jesus is like. It's darkness. After all, as John tells us in the very beginning of his gospel, Jesus is light. And to be apart from Jesus is to be in the darkness. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be in the dark, spiritually speaking? Well, I mean, let's think about it. What is life like in the dark? If you wake up in the middle of the night and you, it's pitch black, you can't see a thing, what is life like at that moment? Well, for starters, your world shrinks. It shrinks immensely, right? It, it, it's reduced to what you can immediately feel, smell, and sort of in, in touch, right? That's it. You can't see anything. Your life gets, uh, gets shrunk. You can move in the dark, but you have to move very timidly and tentatively. You can't move with great force. You tiptoe your way through the darkness. And this is what life apart from Jesus is like. It shrinks our world to the claustrophobic confines of my wants, my desires, my wishes, as Paul Tripp likes to say. Life without Jesus shrinks our world down to the claustrophobic confines, Paul Tripp says, of my wants, my desires, and my wishes. We begin to see the world in a painfully limited way. Life without Jesus shrinks our experience down. It shrinks our world down. Life without Jesus means that a meal is nothing more than calorie intake. And a meal in no way points 
to a feast, to the great feast that is promised us in Christ. Life without Jesus means that work is reduced to just a paycheck. That's it. Nothing more. And work is not a way of participating. Our jobs are not a way of participating with God and His work and a way for us to love our neighbor. None of that. It's just a paycheck. That's it. Life apart from Jesus, life without Jesus, means that sex is merely a way to pleasure body parts. That's it. Nothing more. It's not a covenantal, sacramental sign that points to something far greater than the actual thing. Life without Jesus means that when we look at a when we go to Colorado and we look at the mountains, all we see are just big rocks. We don't see something that speaks to us of the grandeur and majesty of God, as the scriptures say. Because the world without Christ, without God, without Christianity, the world gets sucked of all of its significance. And we begin to wonder if there's any meaning at all. Do you realize that 24%, this is a statistic I heard recently, 24% of young people, teenagers, with no adult mentors, never feel like their life has meaning? Never? That's the stat. A quarter of teens with no adult mentor in their life feel like their life never has meaning. That's, that's depressing. That's dark. And uh, Snyder says that when, when young people are not taught by their elders to discern what's true and false in an information avalanche, which we're experiencing, you get mass insecurity, anxiety, and overwhelm. And this is what life with Christ produces. It produces anxiety. It produces overwhelm. It produces insecurity. So life without Christ is dark. That's the first thing. It's empty. It's vacuous. It lacks meaning. But it gets even worse. Look at verse 18. Not only was it dark, but the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, imagine yourself again in the dark. Pitch dark. You can't see a thing. And then all of a sudden, you start getting rocked all over the place uncontrollably. A storm sweeps in, and you're out of control, right? It's a frightening experience. You're on a boat, too, and underneath you is like all the mysteries of the sea. What happens if you fall into the sea, into its depths? How do you make your way out of the chaos of the sea, right? It's a frightening prospect, and um, that's the second thing, the storminess, the chaos of, 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 a, of a storm at sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is um, 600 feet below sea level, right? It's, it's, it's really, it's recessed. So what that, what that meant is that the, the hot air over the sea would just sort of hover over it until a strong north wind would blow all of its chill into that low part of it, and it would mix with the hot air, and it would create these violent storms. It's sort of a lot like the conditions in Oklahoma in the, at this time of year. Um, the hot and the warm air mixing, and it creates these violent storms. So these things were not in, uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. And like we said earlier, the disciples, they're not strangers to storms at sea, and yet the text tells us that they're afraid. And rightfully so, because they're without Jesus. 
if you can't see what's going on and every indication is that life is completely out of control, that's going to produce anxiety in your life. That's going to produce turmoil in your heart. That's going to make you afraid. And that's, that's what we have within our culture. It's just massive anxiety. Especially in the last 12 months. I was listening to a podcast uh, called Gospel Bound. And the, the guest was talking about how anxious we are at this time. And she said, we've even made, we're so anxious, we've made anxiety like a virtue. So that if you're like in a restaurant and you're, you're, you're sitting near someone that doesn't have a mask on and you start like twitching out of nervousness because they don't have a mask on, that's like a virtuous thing. It means that you care, right? Or, or if, 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 if you're anxious and nervous about this past election that we had back in the fall, if you're nervous, if you were nervous about that, that's a good thing. If you weren't nervous, it was like you didn't care enough. We've, we've elevated anxiety to a virtue, she said. And that's what we have, right? And this is what life without Jesus produces. It produces a darkness where we can't see and the chaos of a storm. And these conditions produce anxiety. So what Holbrook said and the kind of the default thinking on what religion is, that man is a ship, his religion a harbor, and few men sail the high seas, it's, it's, it's incorrect. It's incorrect. We, we as a culture have largely rejected religion and Christianity over the course of the last hundred years. And just look at the situation on the ground. Mental illness abounds. Anxiety abounds. Suicide rates have skyrocketed just in the last 25 years. And even individually, not just culturally, but even in, in the church setting, Christians, we struggle with anxiety. A lot of times we feel as though we're, the, we're, we're like the disciples in the boat, afraid, adrift, no anchor, no, no hope of, of passage. We're just at the mercy of the storm. So what do we do? Well, we turn to Jesus. Which brings us to our second point, the final point, life with Jesus. Look at verse 19. Life with Jesus. Verse 19. When they had rowed about three to four miles, they saw Jesus. And what is He doing? He's walking on the sea. He's like, he's walking. So there's a storm that's out of control and it's dark. And, you know, in the darkness, we're like tiptoeing around on the boat. And he's walking on the sea. How can he do that? Well, he's, he's the Lord of the storm. He has his sovereignty. We've seen it over wine. We've seen it over sickness. We've seen it over demons. We've seen it over food production. We've seen his control over all things, but now we're seeing it over the sea. He's the Lord of the storm. And now they're really afraid because they see him walking on this storm. And they bring him aboard, and guess what happens? It says that they get passage, right? Immediately, miraculously, they're delivered to where they were going through the storm. And this is what God does. Not only are they delivered, but Mark's gospel tells us that the storm became still in an instant, just calmed. 
Now, this is not saying that life with Jesus means that you come to Jesus and that storm is stilled instantly, never again. It's just smooth sailing. In fact, coming to Jesus may mean that you have more storms in your life than you might otherwise. That's not what it's saying at all. The promise of this passage is that life with Jesus means passage. It means deliverance. It means arrival. Passage and port, right? Um, It doesn't mean that the storms of, of this world will not come our way. In fact, they often do. And then sometimes these storms come out of nowhere. You are um, you're, you're on the ship of your life and you're sort of basking in the sun. It's calm. There's no wind. The sea looks glassy. And you're just thinking, nothing can go wrong. And then in a matter of hours, the clouds roll in. The wind picks up. The sea gets choppy. Foam from the sea starts blowing. And all of a sudden, you're in the middle of the storm. Maybe you just, you're in the best health of your life. You just, you just competed in a triathlon. And then you get a cancer diagnosis. Or you're, you, the, the, the waters are placid. It's calm. And then lustful desires sweep into your heart. And all of a sudden, you're caught up in this storm. And you're, you're, you're not in control anymore. You feel as though everything's unraveling around you. Or anger comes into your heart and you lose control. You're caught up in a storm of your own anger. Whatever it is, storms will confront us as as Christians in Christ. But the promise of Christ is passage, import, deliverance, arrival. It's a harbor. That's the promise. We get to a harbor. We get home. And we, we see this time and again throughout the Scriptures. Think of Noah and the storm of God's judgment that came and flooded the earth. And Noah, because of God's mercy and grace and favor upon him, he's delivered. He's delivered. The Hebrew people, remember their, the exodus from Egypt? They're caught up between the storm of the Egyptians' wrath towards them and the chaos of the, the sea. And they're stuck. They're stuck between two storms. How are they going to get out? God miraculously opens up the sea and provides passage and deliverance from the Egyptians, from, from that storm. Time and again, God does this. Now, there's an important question, though, and that is how can we be confident amidst the storm, the storms of this world? There's a very precise and powerful reason why we can have confidence in the middle of these storms. And it's this. Jesus Christ, when He went to the cross, took the storm of God's wrath upon Himself so that we might be delivered through the storm. That's, 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 the, that's the reality upon, all of the, upon which all of this hinges. You know, the Scriptures speak of, of storm and sea as a picture of God's wrath. The best example would be the Noah flood. Jesus took that upon Himself. Our sin upon Himself, upon the cross. He went into the storm so that we could get out of it and find passage and port. You know, there's a, the, the Jonah story. At the very beginning, God calls Jonah, to the prophet, to go preach to Nineveh. 
And what does he do? He gets on a boat to go the exact opposite direction. To go to Spain is likely where he's heading. Not just anywhere. He's going to like the far reaches of the known world. So he's on a boat with like some pretty serious sailors that are exploring, basically. Yet he's disobeying the Lord. And remember what happens? A storm comes. His diso- Jonah's disobedience brings a storm into the life of, of these sailors. And what do they do? Remember what they do? They throw him off the boat, and the storm is stilled. But, look, but think about what happens here. The storm is out of control. Jesus is off the boat. They pull Jesus onto the boat, and the storm is stilled. And this is how it works. Like, this is how this, the storms of our life, how we get passage. It's not anything. We, we, we bring Jesus onto our boat. We bring Jesus into our lives. We identify ourselves with Jesus. We ride his coattails to, pat, to port, to harbor. See, John's claim throughout this gospel has been that in Christ, we have everything we need. Life, light, truth, glory. It's all, it's all ours in Christ. And apart from Christ, we have none of those things. We have darkness. We have chaos. Our lives are unraveling. Our health is unraveling. Our relationships are unraveling. The wine is running out. Every, there's just problem after problem apart from Christ. Think of all the things that Jesus has done since this gospel began. He's providing ever-increasing, ever-better wine at a wedding party. He's healing the sick. He's feeding five, the 5,000. He's doing all, he's, he's providing, he's quenching thirst. He's satisfying bellies. All of these things are happening because Christ is with people. And this is what John is saying. Bring Christ into your life, onto your boat, and he will deliver you. He will give you all of these things. The, the only reason I know that Holbrook Jackson that I mentioned, the only reason I know Holbrook Jackson, um, he's kind of an obscure guy 120 years later or whatever. In 1998, I got a book from a family member called Platitudes Undone. It's an interesting story because Holbrook Jackson's Little Platitudes that was published in 1911. Well, in the 1950s, a doctor in San Francisco was thumbing through a used bookstore and stumbled across Holbrook Jackson's Platitudes in the Making. And he opened it up, and it had every platitude had a comment on it, a note, or drawings. It had all kinds of notations in it. And then he looks to the front, and it was a copy of the book that was given to G.K. Chesterton way back in the early 1900s. See, G.K. and and Holbrook Jackson were, were buddies, even though they saw the world very differently. And Holbrook Jackson gave G.K. a a copy of the book, and Chesterton wrote all these notes, and and somehow it wound up in a bookstore in San Francisco, a used bookstore. So they published it, and it's so engaging to to read through this thing, this book. But So to Jackson's platitude, man is a ship, religion a harbor, few men sail the high seas. This is what Chesterton replies. No, men, men do, only to find a harbor somewhere. Like, Chester's saying, look, 
Sail the high seas, you can do that all day long. But nobody wants to perennially be seeking and never finding. The whole purpose of leaving port is to find another port somewhere else. A harbor. And that's what Christianity provides. That's what Christ provides. A landing place. The promise of deliverance. I mean, storms are going to hit us. We're all sort of sailing through this. We're all kind of on the high seas of life, are we not? Christian, non-Christian alike. But what Christ gives us is the resources to make it through the storm. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, was uh, about a year ago was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he's been undergoing treatment. And I was listening to an interview that he did. And he was talking about how the, they caught it fairly early. And the treatments have been good. But nonetheless, pancreatic cancer is extremely lethal. He said, I, maybe one, maybe two, maybe five years I have left. And he said, but, but here's the thing. We have found that in the midst of this storm, he and his wife and his kids and grandkids and all that, in the midst of this storm that we're riding through, for some inexplicable reason, everything we do has been done with such greater delight than we've ever experienced before. He said, you know, this is the honest truth. We're enjoying life now more than we did a year ago. Just looking outside their window and seeing the, the sun glistening off the river that's outside their window. There's delight there. Every meal is filled with delight. That the sound of another's laughter brings such joy. And that's the promise. That Remember what it says about Jesus and His suffering? That for the joy set before Him. And this is the inexplicable thing. That the storm, we find joy in the storm. Because we know that following kind of the death of ourselves is resurrection. That's what the storm brings. And knowing that there's passage in port makes all the difference. Look, life without Jesus means that the storms of this world, it's only getting worse. It's only getting stormier. It's only getting more chaotic. But for the Christian, the storms of this world are as bad as it gets. And look, we need, in order to believe in Christ, that He is the sure and steady anchor, as we just sang, a moment ago, in order to believe that He's not just the anchor for, for us in the midst of the storm, but He's also the captain that will deliver us to port, in order for us to believe that, we need the community of Christ, His church, to help reinforce and anchor ourselves in Jesus. And this is community builders. I've been hearing encouraging reports from all the different groups of how one, in these groups we're, we're, we're kind of getting into the storms of our lives and we're pointing one another to Christ. We need that. We need, the, we need this community to help us weather these storms that we face, some of which we wouldn't even want to admit to one another. We have the freedom to do that um, in, this, in this church community. We need to do that. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to be ever mindful that Christ went into the heart of God, the storm of God's wrath, so that we might come out, that we might find a safe haven. The new creation, 
a resurrected world order that includes us, his church, being resurrected to new life. That's the promise. That's the passage and deliverance that Christ provides. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. Uh, Whether our life at this moment is calm, whether it's stormy, whether uh, others are even aware of the calm or the storm, or whether they're not, if it's just turmoil and nobody even knows it. We pray that your spirit would give us boldness to confess, to share, to lean onto one another, to uh, encourage one another in the gospel hope. It's the only hope that we have. It's the only way out of the storm of this world is through Christ. Because he's life. He's light. We pray that you would bury those truths deep within us so that they might um, yield all sorts of life-giving fruit, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us, as you promise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.